0: that Roxanne and Linda and I did not collaborate as we go into the sermon today. We did not collaborate, and I did not ask for El Shaddai, El Ayon, Adonai, even though it is completely in my notes today to talk about that. (laughs) So I I just need you to know that I have this whole primer, on the back of my thing, on the 16 names in the Old Testament of God and the order they're in and when they come up. And it wasn't, and uh, it's just the way God moves sometimes, yes. So um, we're rejoining our work in Genesis. We're rejoining at Genesis 16. Remember that Genesis tracks the chosen line. Now, by the chosen line, we don't mean God's playing favorites and disliking everybody else. He's tracking the line that Messiah is going to come from. And so Abraham and himself, the father of faith, is special because God chose him and made him capable. But but through that line comes Messiah. So at the end of that line is Messiah. So we're tracking the line of Messiah to... God's people are chosen, but they're chosen to be significantly changed. Abraham isn't the father of faith that we know as the man who gave up everything and moved when he's chosen. He becomes that. And by the way, as we move from Abraham into the subsequent generations, it's going to become apparent that the chosen line needs a lot of transformation. If I just say that, you'll know that I'm not making it up. Um, Jacob does not look like he belongs in the line of Messiah in the beginning. And in fact, he only actually becomes part of the line of Messiah by lying and cheating. And God redeems. So that's the third thing I want you to remember here is that the transformation happens in the relationship, in the conduit of this relationship that God has with us. The transformation of God's people happens in a relationship with him as he continually self-discloses who he is. With that in mind, let's read an unfortunate incident in the line. We are in Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. By the way, I just want you to know that they've been waiting. They've had this promised kid for quite some time. And just in the previous chapter, Abraham says to God, I know you said my descendants are going to be like the thing, but my only heir is Eleazar of Damascus. And God says, no, your heir will come from your body. And so being human in the way humans are, well, Eleazar's not from my body, but at least if I have a baby with Hagar, that's from my body. not the heir of promise. So let's go on further. So Sarai, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarah with contempt. Right. If you didn't know there was going to be problems, here's the problems. Right. If you if you do this, by the way, if this is your way of interacting with people, and you think this is the way to solve your problems, and not go to God with them and not wait on Him, but solve them in your own strength, there's going to be a problem. So here it is. She began to treat Sarah with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abram. This is all your fault. <laughs> I will put my servant into your, I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong you or me. By the way, can we just settle that there's enough to go around here? <clears throat> right that the Lord will show who's wrong? The answer is yes. <clears throat> yeah. You or me, uh-huh? That's the way that is. So here we are. Abraham replied, <laughs> by the way, this is almost, uh, if you remember in the garden, when, whenever some God comes to them and says, what did you do? And Abram, and Adam says, well, the woman, and, and then he goes to the woman, and she goes, well, the snake. And, right, here it is. <laughs> Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. And Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Now I want to say one little thing that you're missing in the Hebrew that you would get. In Exodus, when Israel is treated harshly by Egypt, the verb used there is this verb. Sarah's treating the Egyptian Hagar so badly that they cry out to the Lord in the same way that the Israelites treated badly in slavery cry out to the Lord in Egypt. just want you to notice that parallel. The roots are there. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur, the road to Egypt, the opposite of the Exodus. Just sort of throwing in those little details. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, and I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry in distress. The son of yours will be like a wild man, untamed as a wild donkey, and he will raise a fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility with all his relatives. Okay, so Ishmael, God has heard you. Right? Here we go. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, and she said to him, You are the God who sees me, El Roy. So, El Roy. No, no, no. Part before El Roy. The God who sees me. El Roy. El God. Roy. Who sees? So this is a name of God. This, by the way, is revelation happening, isn't it? God is self-disclosing who He is. He, before this point in time, I need to, to go into this just a little bit with you, so that you will know where we're coming from, because we're familiar with lots of names for God, El Shaddai, and all of that. But at this point in time in the Israelite history, they don't have that name. And so how did that happen? So here it is. Elohim is the first name for God. It's a plural, I am in Hebrew is always plural. You see, because seraphim, or plural, there's more than one of them. The I am on the end of it. Elohim is a plural, by the way. It's the first thing. And then Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the word, whatever you see in your Bible, is all caps, Lord, that shows up in Genesis 2 but only in the mouth of the narrator at this point none of the people living use that name yet okay so what what the narrator's telling you is that we're telling this from the from the future we're telling about what happened in the past and we know some stuff that they don't know yet but but adam And all his descendants, they don't use the name Yahweh. And in fact, it does not appear until Genesis 22. And only then, so that when they go into Egypt and God sends Moses to get them, they'll know who he is. Okay? The next name that we get for God is in this cluster of new names that come in Genesis 14. Remember, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, says, I'm a servant of God Most High, or El -El Elyon, which we just sang. And so Abraham is trying to go, he's going into battle, he's just won, and El -El Elyon means the Lord Most High, who is the source of all victories and things like that. But it's a beginning of a revelation of God beginning to tell them who he is beyond, I'm God. So now it's God, the one on high. Adonai shows up in Genesis 15 when Abraham says, wait, 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 you haven't given me a son yet, but you're God, Adonai, you're the master. You're in charge, not just on the high now, right? So you have Elohim, he's God. You have Elohim, the God on high. You have Adonai, the God on high, who's master. Who's in charge? Do you see the revelation in order like that? Does that help you understand what's going on? Okay, so here we are in Genesis 16. In the, on the lips of Rahab, a new revelation. In the midst of the struggle, the God who's not just on high, who's not just master of everything that happens, but the God who sees you, who hears you and sees you, Have you ever felt like God maybe didn't hear or see you? That maybe you were invisible to him? One of the very first things that he says about himself or informs the humanity about himself is, I see you. I see you. Now there's going to be some others in the very next verse. El Shaddai is going to show up. We don't know that yet, though. Okay, I'm just telling you, El Shaddai, God, my strength. This is, by the way, in Genesis 17, it's going to say, Abraham, I'm going to change your name, and you need to be perfect in front of me. And Abraham says, El Shaddai, you're my strength to do that. That's a self-revelation. So I just wanted to do this, go through this. There's more al- Ulam, ancient of days, in Genesis twenty-two, and then Jehovah Jireh, Genesis twenty-two, will come, and then there's a huge gap where well, no new names show up until Genesis forty-eight, when that's Jehovah Raah. Okay, when we get there, we'll explain all this, and then and then after Genesis uh, forty-eight, um, Jehovah Jehovah shows up in the name of. In the discussion of Israel and, and Joseph. So Jehovah, Jehovah Ra'ah shows up in the Joseph stuff. And then there's a whole cluster of Jehovah, Y H W H is in the Moses story in Exodus, right? And then all the names for God from then on have Jehovah and something and a modifier behind them. We're going to get to some of those later. I'm not going to go into them. there's 16 of them. But I just wanted you to hear that God is revealing himself in an order on purpose so that he could be understood. Now, if he starts off by saying that if he had started off with, let's say he started off with Jehovah Satiskenu, which means he's my righteousness, but he's not in charge of the universe and he's not your strength and he's not any of these things, then you're going, Well, how's he going to do that? And so they come in an order on purpose so that we can understand and live into them. That's pretty cool as far as as I think. But right now, we're at the God who sees us. Remember, he sees us, and he's talking to Abraham in the midst of these terrible missteps, yes? And he still sees us. He's going to redeem the people in the midst of their mistakes. And in the midst of their mistakes, he's going to tell them who he is, more than he has before. Now you might might, uh, not have thought about that per se to your own life, but I want to sort of jump into your life for a second, okay? When you've made a mistake and God shows that he's in the midst of it, it's always because he's redisclosed or disclosed more of himself to you in that moment and the things that you were doing before because you didn't maybe recognize how wrong they were or how wrong you were to do them. Suddenly, because of your relationship with him and the new knowledge, you need to stop doing those things and be changed. That's what's going on in this story too. They need to stop doing this sort of thing. Now, the Israelites are not going to stop doing this sort of thing yet. But this is the first shot over the bow. No, let's not do this, right? This is going to be a problem. And if you think this through in your husband and wifeness or in your relationships, when something doesn't, when you don't wait on God, And you try to do it in yourself, you might as well be the U.S. Congress, which means that every decision you're going to make is going to need correction someplace. Or you might just be Dave, Pastor Dave, where every decision you make on your own will need correction. See, I'm not, I'm not picking on politics. I'm just saying it's very human to need correction. And the names of God, the significant transformation of the of the chosen line is there, not just because, remember, not just because Abraham has to be different, because he does. But Abraham has to be different for the line of Messiah to be the line it's supposed to be. And the line of Messiah, that's Jesus, right? That's we're here on the Sunday after Christmas. Is this the sixth or the seventh day of Christmas? What do we have on the seventh day of Christmas, right? This is this is Christmas season. This is when that 12 Days of Christmas song is about, not before Christmas, but after Christmas, when all the gifts are given. But the reason for that that he's coming is not just because the Jews needed him, and not just because Abraham needed him, and not just because his people needed him, but the world needs him. Let's not forget that. So what do we do as followers, the people of God? I want, I want to say that part of our job is to follow the line of Messiah in the same way that the biblical story does. What does that mean? Does, does that mean we just read the book and go, well, oh, this is about the line? of no. We follow the line of Messiah. We watch his footsteps, even if they're on the beach and there's only one set and we're backtracking and all those things to see him. We start to look for the line that Messiah makes in the world and his line and his effect. Okay? Two. When we witness the transformation of the Genesis characters, we're supposed to understand That we, too, need transformation, and if God's going to go all that way to change them, and, by the way, come to earth as a human on Christmas, and go to the cross, he's probably not just interested in saving us just the way we are, and then having that rabble in heaven, because that's what it would be. He's interested in transforming humanity to a place where heaven is a place where they fit, where we've, where our lives don't need shoehorns. They just slip in, right? Okay. And number three, we need to not just pay lip service to the work that God gives us to do, not just say, okay, I'll do it. Because, by the way, if he sees us and he hears us, right? He's doing this, right? I see you. If he sees us and he hears us and we say, yeah, I'll do that. Right? There's a story. Jesus tells the story about that, right? The two boys, then the one says, uh-uh, I ain't got to And then he goes out and does it. And then the, old, the other son that says, I will do that. And then he sits on his batuti, right? Not doing anything. If God is Elroy, the God who sees us and hears us and who comes to save us, it can't just be lip service. because he redeems out of these crazy, horrible spots that we put ourselves in. And he sees us there, too. Yeah? Will you join me in prayer? I think that's enough for today. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for coming. I thank you so much for the gift of relationship that you bring to us. I thank you so much that you cared so much about the transformation of the world, that you cared so much about the transformation of our lives, that you got personally involved. Lord Jesus, thank you. In your precious name, amen.